0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
2: Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone!
3: And 29 other MLB clubs. Drive, deep left field,
4: left the Guerrero lifts one to left field
3: and...
6: The reality is minor league baseball right now on average is playing games that are two hours and 34 minutes, nearly a half hour shorter than the major league baseball average. A half hour because the major league baseball average is down, but what is it at?
2: So if you look now, it's like three hours, four minutes, and 53 seconds, so 3.05 down from 3.10 from last
6: year. So 3.05 is a half hour difference from 2.34. So in the minor leagues, they're playing a half hour short, a little bit, it's about 30 and change, uh, shorter than what they're doing at the big league level. Vegas right now, how about just our own affiliates? Las Vegas, AAA, two hours and 51. And think about that. They're playing games that are 14 to 10. 13-11, they're playing in band boxes. They're playing in elevation. They're playing in desert air. Ball's flying all over the place. Every guy looks like he's freaking Mickey Mantle down there, and they're playing playing two hours and 51 minutes. They're playing well under three. Even if you gave the extra time for what you're saying commercials are in a – and I'm not – obviously the commercials for national games are even longer. We're not going to count those because not like we're playing too many national games anyway. so um, We have a couple coming up in June. But there you go. Midland, two hours and 35 minutes. Lansing, two hours and 36 minutes. Alex Jensen and the Stockton Ports got to get their act together. They're two hours and 45 minutes. But what you're seeing is you're seeing basically the way the game was meant to be played. And I go back to Ken Burns's baseball, his documentary, all those years, and you watch the old footage. What you would see is it didn't matter what 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 uh, what team. Everybody ran off the field. Everybody ran on the field. Everybody got the ball. Everybody throw it. Pitcher would get his eight pitches. You throw it down to second. Roll around the horn. Boom. Give it back to the pitcher. Let's go. Batter steps up. Batter doesn't adjust all the gloves. Doesn't step out constantly. You know who I saw last night is a is a relic. He's a relic of his time. Just take a guess who that may be.
2: A relic of his time in Major League Baseball?
6: Yes. He's a relic. Uh, well, He pitched last night. Oh, pitched last night. Here? Yep. Um, Because I knew we were going to talk about this today, so I paid attention. I oh, bet, Chris Archer. I bet most of you didn't pay attention. Chris Archer. I bet you didn't, did you? No one paid attention. I'm pointing to multiple people. Chris Archer, if you go back and watch that game last night, Slider, not happy about the call. Catch it. Walk around the mound. Walk off to the mound. Dig on the dig on the mound. Look at this. How slow Chris Archer worked between every pitch last night just shows you that's the old way. Because what have we been seeing with Zach Logue, Selseth, who pitched for the Angels? We're seeing guys. Cole Irvin. We're seeing guys. Get the ball, pitch as fast as you can. Cole Irvin learned when he was at the University of Oregon that a pitcher takes, what was it, 19 seconds, he said? Yeah, yeah. The sports psychologist who came to work with Oregon, I can't remember his name, said the hitter, it takes him 19 seconds to basically dissect everything that just happened to him in an at bat. So from the time the pitcher releases it and he decides whether to swing or not, the clock starts 19 seconds for him to forget about that. That's why Cole Irvin wants to throw the ball before he wants to get the ball back and throw it before 19 seconds because the hitters not finished with the last pitch yet. Yeah. I mean that's 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 cerebral stuff, well, right That's neuroscience yes. that's where this game is going. So what they're doing now is we're not worried about neuroscience. What we're worried about is speeding up the game. And what we're seeing is by making the hitters, and Roxy Bernstein, who's here in the ballpark tonight, was talking to us with his work with Pac-12 Network, what he's seeing in college baseball. Because in college baseball, you better get as a hitter into the box. You can't fool around with the pitch clock. If you try and jump into the box real quick with five seconds left to mess up the pitcher, they call a strike on you. So they're forcing the hitters get in the box, forcing the pitcher to throw it within X amount of seconds, which is just, was it doing? We're training everybody to play at a better pace. Because I said this with our own Ray Fossey for all these years, because Ray talked about we didn't get to the ballpark this early. We didn't take this long to play. And what happened over time is Major League Baseball players started getting to the ballpark earlier and earlier and earlier. They would work out. They would have lunch. And they would be here all day. And after the game, they eat the spread after the game. So the fact that the players were here at 11 or noon for a 7 o'clock start and would still be here eating after the game, and it's well after 10 o'clock, it just... Players got you. I think of Marcus Simeon, God bless him. But Marcus Simeon would basically be here all day. It became his lifestyle. Why would Marcus care if the game was two hours and 40 minutes, 50, uh, two hours and 45 or three hours and 15? He's been here all day. It just, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 beca- it's become a routine that they were just, they're not like regular employees, like when Cody gets off the clock. Cody's out of here. Yeah, I go home. Cody's not sitting around going, I could still be here two more hours. Cody's off the clock. He's gone. These guys' clocks, and I think this is proving what I've said. Once again, I'm not right on a lot of things, but I think I'm dead right on this, is these guys didn't care how slow they were playing. And just over years, it got longer and longer and more pitching changes and more pitching changes. And we see the evolution of the game go from 2 hours 45 250 255 three now three hours and five minutes three hours it just kept getting worse all we've had to do is force them back to playing at the right pace and already we're seeing dividends in the minor leagues pitch yeah. clocks working
2: yeah and tonight we're gonna see we're gonna live stream Cole Irvin's start in Stockton and you mentioned you know I, I looked it up two hours 45 minutes for a Stockton game it's gonna be well under that tonight with Cole on the mound. the way he as quick as he works he's one of the quickest workers in Major League Baseball if you look at pace on fan graphs which I do because I'm a nerd uh, Cole's one of the fastest pitchers when it comes to that that game's gonna go by so quickly and he's gonna we can actually talk to him about like because he said he's never pitched in the, in the Cal League before asking him what his experience was like the dealing with the pitch clock and kind of getting that because it, it's gonna it's coming next year. I mean, it's one of the rules that's going to come next year, and people are going to have to learn to play with it and adapt to it because it is going to speed up the games. Now, how's that? And going there's to?
6: not. And by the way, for all the I, I, I don't understand all the amateur GMs out there who complain baseball shouldn't have a clock. Oh my god, we're all seeing, and and you know who's really seen it, and I give him a lot of credit. It's Dallas Braden. Dallas Braden has brought this up multiple times on the TV broadcast, going, "Look how fast these guys work. This is a product of what's coming from the minor leagues. You can train these guys how to play the game the right way. Every single game has a clock. Does an NFL team have endless time to get a playoff? No, there's there's thing called a play clock. Does a basketball team have endless time to bring the ball up the floor and get past the half court line? They have a shot clock." Everybody has a basically let's play at a better, faster pace because a a better, faster pace because human beings playing at a faster pace are more entertaining to watch. And by the
2: way, what are we in? The entertainment business. Thank you. Uh, I'll give you a good example. Um, The goals per game in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year are
6: up from every year. You mean scoring more Scor- goals? They're scoring more goals. A faster-paced hockey yeah, game yeah. versus, I'll give you one, the New Jersey Devils, who were great back in the day, who played that trap. I, I'm not claiming to be Johnny Hockey, all yeah, right? M- Marty Brodeur, great all right. player. I'm Patrick Elias. Martin Brodeur. Uh, Scott Niedermeyer. I, I am not Johnny Hockey, okay? No, he plays for Calgary. That's Johnny, uh, Johnny Gaudreau. I, I'm not Gordie Howe, Mr. Hockey. <laughs> I just know that back in the day, clutching grabbing zone defense that they were playing in, in New Jersey
2: which oh. worked Oh you're confused I thought you were talking about Jim Boeheim and, uh, and Or Jim Boeheim or I go Bayheim, sorry
6: four corners with Dean Smith <laughs> and back the only guy that could keep Michael Jordan under 20 points a game was Dean Smith at North Carolina You've heard about that, right? Yeah, his own coach. His own coach was the only guy that could keep him <laughs> under 20. Uh, playing that way is boring and not entertaining. So why are we doing it? So the pitch clock that we've all wanted, that some of you have fought, stick it. It's coming to baseball at the big league level, and it works. And we're seeing it across minor league baseball working. And we're now seeing it creep into major league baseball because these young pitchers are now coming up, and they work fast. And this is what they know. And it's, and it's a pleasure. Silseth, Seth, I hated to see what he did against the A's, but wasn't it a pleasure to watch that? Isn't Zach Logue to watch him get the ball and go? Cole Irvin, get the ball and go? Uh, don't you like that? You
2: know, I, I thought it was great. And, you know, I go to a lot of minor league baseball games, and they, they're they're pretty quick. Like, the pitch clock is, like, again, it's coming next year. You know, don't be started on the shift banning, but the pitch clock is going to be good for the sport, I think, for sure. Because you're going to see – we're gonna, we, hopefully maybe next year we won't have to hear you talk about the time of games on post-game anymore. I mean, I think that will always be a thing, but it won't be three hours and 23 minutes.
6: Okay, for example, you start at 6.40. Yeah. 7.40, 8.40, two hours now it's 8.40. Yeah. All right. Now you had another 30, 40 minutes. I now, as a father, can really think about bringing my kids to games on a school night versus you start at 7.07 and you're playing three hours and five minutes, it's kind of tough to say, hey, let's go to the old ballpark and the game ends at 10.10. By the time we get home, by the time we get to bed, uh, you got to get up for school in the morning. Well, if we're now going to start at 6.40, which I think is brilliant, and you're telling me I can have games that are hours and 2.40, 2.45, I can now, on school nights, not only non-school nights, and we all know attendance goes up in the summer, but now maybe attendance goes up, and it helps. It just, I mean, players, you you complain that people are not in the seats. Well, you're playing at 1030 at night on a school night. Yeah, it's it's never good. You're playing long, slow, boring games, and you want everybody to do that. Hey, how about we start early, play faster? That's better for everybody.
2: I'll have to show you the – The numbers on the website that I have access to now for the length of games and attendance, I can see all that stuff now.
6: You're weaponized now with attendance numbers.
2: Between that and baseball reference, stat head, and all the stuff I have been using for years and now having this website, uh, I can look up everything, including baseball, which is free, but you have to know what you're looking for.
6: And just going to say this briefly. Another article has come out. It was in the New York Times. Did you read it?
2: No, I don't, I don't have access. Is it, was it a free article in the Times?
6: Uh, yeah, I know sometimes the Times will pop up and they want you to pay for it. I, don't, I got to read it. I don't know why. But I got to read it, and I got a chuckle because I know there's going to be a part of the fan base that goes the traditional, you see, you see. But uh, it's the same article that's been written for now decades. The article could have been written in the 90s early 2000s, 2010s, it's the same thing rehashed over and over and over again. And the fact that you're having an article like that again makes you – I mean, we, we can have over 30 years of these articles saying the same thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to rehash what the article had to say. All you have to do is – all you have to do is see – um, you can research it. There's been a bazillion of these articles written about the A's, the Raiders. I've lived through all of it, and it's just flat out tired. And um, if you if you ever really wanted to get into attendance through through all the years since 1968, you now I have access to it. You have access to every year, and what it's going to tell you is. All the people who call up and spout stuff about attendance on my show, the A's Clubhouse show, the call-in show, your your information's not correct. Literally, your information's not yeah. correct.
2: I mean, I could break it down for you real quick. I, have I the, don't want
6: to get into it. I have the numbers from the all, 80s. All I care about are the people that do come to the games. That's what I care about. And I don't care about the people who don't come to games. And if you're a fan that uh, just listens to A's cast, we love you. If you're a fan that, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people can't come to games. But if you can listen on A's cast, you can listen on the A's radio network. If you can watch our friends, NBC Sports California, we love all of you. Problem is, and I've always said this about attendance, is you upset the people who do show up, and you're really talking about the people who don't show up, and they're they're non-factors because they're not listening to this anyway. If you don't like the A's, you're not listening to A's cast. Uh, that's probably true. Right? So why am I going to talk
2: to people who are not listening to A's cast? I can tell you real quick, uh, shameless self-promotion, we're still the number one podcast in baseball.
6: Uh, we're just not the number one podcast. We're the number one podcast by a lot.
2: Trust me, I have the data. Um, as a numbers guy, I have access to that. I've had access to that. All right. Let me ask you this before Dan, Dan Hayes is on his way over. Let me ask you this: Bernie or Andrew Jones, who should go in first?
6: Ooh, one guy's <laughs> one guy's. Uh. Well, the stats are the stats are the stats are definitely going to go to Andrew Jones. Yeah, stats will go to Andrew Jones. World Series will go to Bernie. World Series will go. Well, let's ask Dan. All right, we're going to ask you the tough question. Sure. Because we just had Bernie Williams on. Oh. Okay. Tough act to follow. So he just asked me, so you got two guys that I think, uh, you talk about incredible careers. Who should go in the Hall of Fame first, Andrew Jones or Bernie Williams? I mean, give me the 400
7: home runs and the guy that did. I, I Bernie Williams is fantastic. It's a tough call, huh? I'm not going to lie. I've been voting for Andrew Jones, I think, the last two years on my ballot. So I'm going Andrew Jones, but, I mean, it's a really – talk about two of the most – Dominant center fielders of that era, always in the postseason, always coming up big. Bernie Williams is amazing, but Andrew Jones hit 400 home runs. How I about that? How about I just
6: let, and maybe yeah. this may change it? How about Bernie's career in the postseason? 121 games, 22 jacks, 80 RBIs, and an 850 OPS. Yeah, I mean, doesn't between him, Pettit, Posada,
7: Jeter, all those guys made themselves so much better as far as Hall of Fame candidates by what they did in their Octobers. And they got so many Octobers. So, yeah, I mean, those are incredible numbers. He's just it's, – it's as close. Uh, it's always tough when the regular season resume doesn't quite reach some of the guys of that era. And you think about the offensive
6: numbers of that era. And it's almost not – because we were just talking about him. Like, he had some years that were definitely – if he had those years now or right. the years before – if he had those numbers before the steroid era, easily MVP. Yeah. But in his era, we're looking at the MVPs are Jason Giambi, Juan Gonzalez, Pudge oh, Rodriguez, Miguel Tejada. These guys were all associated with steroids. Right. And that's the toughest thing for your job And yep. this vote is – How do we decipher how to vote, how not to vote, how to do this thing? And
7: and honestly, the way I've done it is so far, as long as the rules were not in place at the time, and and I'm going to have to decide on Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez eventually. Yeah. But I voted for Bonds. I voted for Clemens. I voted for a bunch of people who were, quote, unquote, associated potentially. And and it's – look – it's a, it's a weird situation that baseball did not clean it up itself, and they want me to do it as a voter with half the information. I don't know who really did it, and that's a thing that I always – if they didn't clean it up and they, they put Bud Seal again and he oversaw the era, I, I think it's a Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is a museum of baseball. It's a place where the game is celebrated. I just don't know how you overlook that era entirely, and – I, it, it's disappointing to me personally not to see Bonds and Clemens in the the guy with the most home runs and one of the best pitchers of all time. And I know both their careers were extended, but they were elites before their careers were going to be extended. So it's a uh, it's a subject that I you know I, I know I'm um, definitely if I talk to players they're going to be divided with me on this. There are some that just say no way, but I think there's a lot of guys who got in already that we don't know about. And you were a kid growing up in the Bay Area at that point. I was. and Hey, I'm not going to lie. My own personal experiences with uh, the left fielder from the Giants were not, you know, he was probably one of my favorite players. And I don't know that I came away from personal experiences necessarily liking him. And, and that's a weird thing when you're that much of a, a fan at the time. But um, I, I set that stuff aside. I voted for Schilling. I don't agree with Kurt Schilling about 90% of what Kurt Schilling says. But, man, if he wasn't an all-star and a Hall of Famer on the field. And i just try to take all of that stuff out of it. And uh, so, I mean, look, Andrew Jones, who knows if if his numbers were inflated. Um, Bernie Williams would still be a star today. That's what I, I, I will definitively say out of this conversation is I think Bernie Williams could do the same exact performance right now, and we'd have another whole appreciation for what he did. Where did you grow up in the Bay Area? Uh, Roanoke Park. I actually just spent the last three nights there, so it was a good couple days. Is the whole family still here? Uh, Yeah, everybody's still here. Yep. Took the uh, smart train down today, took the uh, ferry across from Larkspur. It's a good day.
6: Yeah, nice. Well, welcome back home. Yeah, thank you. So, how's it been following the Twins around as this team is, uh, let's just say people had the White Sox already winning this division, and this division was over, and the Twins are like, not so fast.
7: I'll tell you what. Um, it's something that the A's fans saw a lot the last couple of years. That infield defense, when it's as elite as it can be, when you've got guys just taking hits away, it sucks the life out of the other team. Twins have been doing that all season. Gio Urshela right now is playing some of the best third base I've ever seen defensively. Uh, you can look at the highlights, they're incredible. Uh, Correa has been down for 10 days. I think we'll see him tomorrow or Wednesday. His defense has been outstanding. Jorge Polanco is a shortstop playing second base, and he plays it really well. And and then you throw in the fact that Luisa Rice, who really has no position, uh, has played first base convincingly well. They have a really good infield defense. And then you throw in Byron Buxton and you throw in Max Kepler and Wright. I mean, it's they're catching everything. They're making their pitcher's jobs easier. And that, I think that's been the key to this so far and why I think it will sustain. Because, honestly, you look at their pitching. We talked about it earlier in the season, I think. I think we talked maybe – right before opening day. The Twins need Frankie Montes. I know a lot of teams need Frankie Montes. <laughs> but
6: the Twins you are. Want, you, want to
7: do, you want to do a deal now? I, hey, I've already had a couple worked out, you know. Uh, but no, uh, I would like to Are you giving us something
6: good? Don't give me. Oh, man. Have you
7: seen their, their farm systems doing all right? So, it's. Uh, in fact, their shortstop, their current shortstop, I think is a guy that a lot of teams have been intrigued by. I don't know that they'll trade Royce Lewis because I think they have the expectation that Correa will be here one year. Um, and, and yeah, use that's that an opt-out. interesting
6: deal oh well, I want to ask you about just going to Houston yeah just how tough was that for Korea not to play uh, actually they came to they came to the twins
7: Houston trip is in August okay, okay. they came but they but not he, to play against the Astros had to be brutal he was you could tell you could just tell but he also so initially when he got hurt they thought it was a broken a non-displaced fracture which would have been so when the A's were there. Yeah. Eight, uh, they, he, Yeah, exactly. They they found out the day that the A's arrived that it was actually just a bone bruise. So they went from thinking, we just lost our superstar for six to eight weeks to, man, we can get him back within 10 days. And they were hopeful that it was going to be four or five. Turned into, it's going to be six, seven. And you could tell he really wanted to face the Astros. But for guys that I've covered in 16 years, he has a better grasp on where he is physically and what he needs to do, and is willing to take an extra day or two, and you know, I know sometimes that will drive a fan mad, but if he, we just talked to him about Byron Buxton because Byron Buxton is a constant topic with Twins fans, taking a day <laughs> here or there, and he said, "Look, I would rather have Byron Buxton seven out of ten days uh, than to and have him in September than to have him play ten out of ten and be out a month." And and that kind of thing and he's trying to get across to Byron Buxton some of the stuff that he is doing with himself and looking out for the team and it's kind of working Uh, you know Buxton when he's playing is playing elite he's missed I think 11 games out of their first 35 it might be 12 and the other night in a extra innings game against the uh Guardians they you know game that Shane Bieber starts you always want to win those games and They had a shot and they didn't pinch hit Buxton late and kind of they got a lot of flack for that. And the Twins said, no, this is our plan. Don't fire him up on that day. And it's uh, it's working out well. It's really strange. There's a lot of good talent between the Twins. They just they're going to need more pitching to keep it going. But the defense is real. The bullpen has got a lot of interesting looks and the lineup is deep.
6: You know, Correa, who we've seen for years, he is the dude. Yeah. He is that guy that you get into the postseason, and uh, he makes things happen. I mean, he is a legit player. I thought it was a great deal for the Twins because, yeah, it could be a one-year deal. It could be a two-year deal. Could, you could, we could see him maybe love Minnesota like a lot of people have. Maybe he yeah. signs a long-term deal. But, you know, worst comes to worse, it's one year of this prize guy. you got the super prospect coming up who the A's got to see in that series, but what so far, what do you think of Correa? Well, I just listened to what his teammates say, and they say he's bringing us
7: a lot of different ideas, just different ways to look at things so far. And they listen. You know, it's sort of this this guy's got 79 postseason games, and I know that there's some controversy with it, but he's also succeeded after that controversy, and I think that carries a lot of water with these guys because they lost to the 2020 uh, Astros in two. The twins were the heavy favorites. The Astros were twenty-nine and thirty-one, just barely made the postseason and they came in and just destroyed the twins. I mean it was like nine to one over the two games. It wasn't blowing them out, but the difference between the two teams was so significant and they're drawing a lot of knowledge from him. Just they're doing infield practice with him, high speed infield practice. And if they make an error, he's got them doing push ups. It's sort of like the uh, Willie Mays Hayes hits a pop up and drops and does the push ups. (laughs) Imagine Miguel Snow. It's 44 degrees. The opening series, I think it was Seattle, was in, and it's like 44 degrees. And Miguel Snow drops down and does push ups because he made a mistake in the field. He's just, there's a lot of cohesion. There's a lot of guys listening to him. And he's deferring to Byron Buxton. He's played it so smart, just keeps calling Buxton the best player, this is Buxton's team. He's not overstepping his bounds, even though he absolutely could. And I, I think that has kind of got them on the same page, which they not necessarily were the last couple of years. And it was a little bit of a tense clubhouse the last couple of years, and they are it's a lot more – they just like playing with each other right now.
6: You may run like Mays, but you hit like <laughs> – uh, One of the great lines ever. Uh, Buxton obviously – I mean, signs the contract, great for the Twins. We know as an athlete, the guy is just, but it is the, can you keep him healthy? Right. And then the fans are like, you're paying him all this money, and you're babying him, he did not play every day. Like, 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 what's the deal? Yeah. It's,
7: but he, I, I talked to him about this maybe an hour ago, and he said, look, I haven't even played 100 games since 2017. I don't even know what that feels like. So we're trying to get there. We're just trying to start with that as the goal. And anything beyond that is sort of a pie in the sky, essentially. They're just excited to get him there. But they like the plan, and, and he is on board with the plan. And he said it's because he likes his teammates so much, and he wants to be there in September. He wants to be there in October. And, he, you know, 2019 was the year where it looked like it was going to happen. And then he had an incident where he ran into the wall in Miami, got totally confused, didn't know where the, the wall was, separates his shoulder, and that was a really good team. And they had pitching, uh, maybe a little short on pitching, but they had a good bullpen, and they had a great lineup. That team set the NL or MLB record for home runs in a season, 307. They beat the Yankees by one. And uh, it, was a, it was a loaded team that believed in each other, and he ran into the fence, separated his shoulder, and was out for the season. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to be there, and, and being in October means a lot to him. And so he's going to go with this plan, even though the competitor in him wants to play it's it's that uh, you can tell internally how much of a struggle there is with him because he wants to play and wants to play with his hair on fire, but he can't.
6: So how much did the White Sox are winning this division with ease? They're the best team in the American League. I mean, we heard so much stuff down at spring training. Oh, yeah. How much did they take that and go, yeah, I'm not buying that? I think a lot
7: because they've won. This is a team that won the division in 19 and 20. And they know they're good. And now they have Carlos Correa pushing some buttons, too. And I think they think Byron Buxton is probably a top three player in baseball. And they think they're going to have him. And if they have him on the field, they can win. And so, again, they're going to need pitching. Frankie Montes, just switch jerseys, walk on over. Wow. He's pulling the Ricardo Rincon. Just walk
6: from one (laughs) clubhouse to the other.
7: But it's uh, they're going to have to solve the pitching. They have three rookies. And they're all going to hit their innings limits in August and September. So they're going to have to do something. But I think that there's a lot of belief that they're still a good team. And, yeah, the White Sox have been great. The White Sox have looked good the last two years. But the defensive difference right now is a huge, huge chasm. I mean, the White Sox have probably cost themselves six games. The Twins have probably won five or six games with their defense. And I think they, they know they're going to play good sound ball and make the other team make the mistake
6: first. Well, I'll tell you what. You start thinking about it. it starts warming up in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Next thing you know, the the, the fans are going to be packed. It's going to be this, this, and Cleveland yeah. is, is shocking people again. They're now talking about what they like about Cleveland. They hit for batting hours. They hit for contact. All of a sudden, people like that again.
7: <laughs> it's it's fun. It's it's good seeing the ball being put in play. It's not terrible.
6: <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much for yeah. the time. It's great to bring you back home. Yeah, thank you. And and uh, having you on the program, and we'll talk later on this year. Absolutely. Well, I got to think when Bernie Williams steps on this field, he's got a lot of great memories from all those years playing. And then, of course, what you're going to do tonight with the National Anthem, going to be very, very special. Uh, this, this has been progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law to you and your career and now it'll be good to you as a musician
4: oh my god i am so grateful and uh, so fortunate to be here be back after all these years uh, we had so many great uh, things happen to us as a team and, and to me personally so uh yeah it, it was a great ride and uh now uh, you know it's just kind of coming full circle for me Baseball and music together.
6: You know, before we start talking about your baseball career, and even as a musician, you know, we celebrated women yesterday here at the Coliseum uh, who have had breast cancer. My mother passed away of breast cancer not too long ago. And I think about this disease that took your father that takes – a lot of people don't realize how many people die of this – just like breast cancer in this country and the awareness you're bringing for your father. Before we get into all the other stuff, talk about that because I know that that's what means so much to you right now.
4: Yeah, it is a cause that is near and dear to my heart because of uh, my father. I mean, my uh, Bernabe Williams Sr. Uh, was uh, the guy that took me in and uh, taught me how to play the game of baseball at a very young age. And he taught me how my first couple of chords on, uh, on the guitar where I actually developed this great love for music and sports, uh, it was because of him, and of course my mom. But uh, uh, in 2001, he passed away from this rare lung disease called idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, uh, which is basically scarring of the lung tissue, and uh, it is uh, it is progressive and it's uh, it's terminal. You know, unfortunately, they haven't found a cure for it. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, he basically had it, and uh, he didn't know he had it until it was kind of too late. So I think, you know, uh, me uh, sort of raising awareness about it, I think it could help a lot of people deal with this. Uh, A lot of the symptoms that are attributed to IPF uh, could be confused with other, you know, uh, illnesses like uh, uh, asthma, COPD, uh, bronchitis. Uh, But uh, we are encouraging people to go to the doctor As soon as they started feeling symptoms, uh, which, you know, kind of like normal, kind of like, you know, run-of-the-mill kind of thing, you know, it's like a a persistent cough that doesn't end, you know, that's always there. Uh, You start feeling fatigue and tired, things that you usually took for granted, like going through a flight of stairs or or walking, you know, down the beach or whatever it is. You know, start feeling all these things that are not usual, that are not normal. We're encouraging people to go to the doctor so they can be... uh, refer to a lung specialist. And that person will be the one that could make the determination of to whether or not you have IPF because you definitely don't want that in your life. And, uh, you know, you can move on. And if you have it, you know, there's a, uh, a website called uh, com, where you can get information about how to get, you know, options about your treatment. Uh, you, you can uh, be in contact with doctors, uh, uh, caretakers, and even patients that are going through this uh, same process uh, so you don't feel alone and you don't feel like you're battling this by yourself.
6: Yeah, when I was reading this today, I'd never heard of it. And then what I'm hearing, it takes the lives of almost as many women as breast cancer and men can die of breast cancer. And just to, just to know that, you know, what you did in your career with the Yankees is great. And now what you can do from that career to help people and save lives has to be very gratifying and obviously honoring your father
4: absolutely no question about that i think you know one of the things that that are the perks of i guess a profession like i had was you are kind of given a platform to utilize to you know to make people aware of things that are close to your heart if you want to help people if you want to do whatever you want to do with your platform uh it's just a blessing to have the opportunity to speak to people and have the ear of people that will listen to you and what you have to say, so it's a, it's a it's a blessing to have it, and I, I'm utilizing it. I'm util, utilizing it now to bring this cause into you know the people's ears and, and and eyes, so they can be more aware about it.
6: Obviously, you're a very proud man. Obviously, you had an unbelievable baseball career, but when that was over, and you, we just talked off the air about playing at Yoshi's, when you finally were recognized as Bernie Williams, the musician. <laughs> <laughs> what what did that mean to you? Because I know it's always about, oh, the World Series and all this kind of stuff, but now you're Bernie Williams and music. What was it like when people started recognizing you for your jazz guitar and what you've done in the two albums? What did that mean to you? I,
4: very flattering. I think that, uh, you know, you put a lot of effort into, I put a lot of effort into playing guitar and becoming uh, the player that I have become. Uh, always keeping in mind that you, you, You know this thing never ends it's like baseball you always learn something new every time you play guitar is the same thing music is the same thing you have to keep this attitude of always being in a position that you are able to learn something from every experience that you have Uh, and uh, when i was playing baseball to me the most important thing i mean the other things were great you know the perks you know the traveling you know, obviously the, the compensation was, you know, obviously not, not bad at all. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think to me what got me going was to get the respect of my peers, where they could uh, look at you and say, look through the lineup and say, this guy is a player. Okay, we got to be careful with him because you know, he knows how to play the game. He can hurt us, you know, whatever. Having that kind of level of respect uh, from your peers that are playing, you know, your opposition as well as your players. That was where I got my kicks from. So in music, it's kind of like the same. You want to go into the scene and, and practice and work so hard that people could see you pass that whole facade of, you know, this former you know, sports person is going to come in and maybe hack some chords and follow along. You, you want them to recognize, you know, the, the work that you have done, which is kind of similar to what they have done in their careers to be to the point, point that they are. So being part of the group, uh, uh, it has worked. I think it's uh, they, you get that respect because you, you 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 realize that nothing is is given to you. You have to earn it, and you have to work for it.
6: It makes total sense. You don't want to be known as ah, he's just up there because he was a baseball player. Mm-hmm. And I think as a baseball player, when you took the field in the pinstripes, you're going out there with your teammates. Now you're going up there, and you have people behind you. But now you're front and center. It's all you. So all that time, and I have some stats here, 121 games in the postseason. Like, what did your baseball career do for you that now helps you being out front, being the
4: performer, being the musician? Oh, there's so many parallels that I could draw from uh, the sports world into the music. Uh, First and foremost, uh, being a team player, uh, you know, you you mentioned that you're kind of out there front and center, but the people that are behind you, backing you up, uh, I kind of take the whole music thing as a sort of learning a language and having a conversation with your band members. Uh, it's not about me being front and center and they backing me up. It's about me interacting with them and utilizing their talents also to make this collective uh, as good as it can be. Uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is performing under pressure. You know, when you're in the batter's box and you have, it's you, you in the pitcher, crowd seeing umpire there, it's just this great uh, battle that you have psychologically and physically uh, it puts a lot of pressure on you, but it's all about the preparation that you have put into to get to that moment. So in music, it's the same thing. You know, you go out there on stage, and if you're prepared and you know what you're playing and you have control of your you know, instrument, uh, you can have more fun interacting with the, with the crowd and with the audience and getting them into the music. If you're not ready, it could be as hard, <laughs> <laughs> as challenging, as nervous yeah. as being on the plate with no having no clue what's going to happen. So, uh, And then, you know, after that, I mean, there's so many more parallels that I could draw that uh, from the world of uh, sports, I was able to draw into my preparation as a musician. And they have worked, I mean, so good, so well.
6: Well, you guys and that core group, I mean, like I said, you played in 121 playoff games. You think about all the World Series and I know you guys have gone back to Yankee Stadium. You've been honored obviously. But have you guys really had a had a time where you guys can really sit back and go, "Wow, look at everything we accomplished."
4: Well, I tell you the truth, man. I I still haven't gotten to that point where I can just sit on the couch and just say, "You know what? It's been a long journey. It's been quite a quite a quite a ride." Uh, I it's the same thing that I was doing when I was playing baseball. The moment that I would sit back and start looking at what I did, I would become stagnant and not grow. Uh, to me, it was all about the next at-bat. It was all about the next game. It was all about the next season, uh, the next 10 years. You know, where am I going to go? You know, where where is this going? Uh, so uh, it, it is kind of funny to think about the things that we did uh, and having the opportunity to maybe see some games, you know, in retrospect and see, wow, I was—I looked a lot slimmer back then.
5: <laughs> I have, we I all have, did. I have black hair, you know, it's just like, wow.
4: Uh, it, it's kind of nice to see. Uh, it's almost like a lifetime ago of, of, of uh, experiences. Uh, and, uh, you know, the one thing that I've always trying to stress is just moving into the next thing and what's next, because then, uh, life is too short man to just kind of rest on your laurels and then try to you know think about what you did in the past as so long as you ha- I have a breath in my lungs I'm going to try to keep pushing forward and do things that I've never done before try new things and learn like it's my first day on the earth <laughs>
6: well, well I I know Ace fans would want to know go back to a, a couple of those series that were great battles and how loud this place was oh, and what was it like to be a yankee going up against these a's hard nose a's that was kind of the start of would end up being a movie Moneyball, and everything that yeah. was leading up to that what what was it like playing against those a's and what was it like playing in the stadium
4: it was awesome i always liked playing in the stadium uh, i love the uh, sort of the openness of it uh as a hitter it was a different story though because of the foul territory it really got me frustrated i got a pop fly and, oh, man, the first baseman or the or the, or the third baseman catching that ball, it was so frustrating. But other than that, being able to play with these fans, which are probably I would compare them to, you know, the rivalry that we have in Boston with the Red Sox, coming into the West Coast, this was probably the toughest place for me to play. Uh, and the fans were, you know, they, they were like that sort of uh, missing element, you know, that would jump in and uh, – Really rattle the team, you know, and uh, it, it, you cannot do any any mistakes out there. You can, I mean, there was, there was one time I think I was facing Mike Oakwood, who bases loaded, right? I think it was like a night game. And I'm battling with him, you know, ball one, ball two, strikeout, follow a couple of pitches, t- count goes to two and two. He throws me a forkball in the dirt, right? And I see it, and it's like, okay, ball four. It's ball three, but I think it's ball four. So I start walking down the line, and I look in the dugout, I see everybody just falling off their chairs <laughs> laughing. Joe Torres is like this. Oh, God, there we go again. And, and then I look at the uh, at the batter's box, and the, the, the umpire is like, come back here. <laughs> so I was walking from first base thinking that I, that I had to walk. So I'm. this count is 3-2. The, the fans are really, over, really on me, like really riding me hard. Wouldn't you believe that the next pitch uh, I hit it out of the ballpark? grand slam as i'm running the bases everybody's like Boo yeah. the dugout is just laughing and the umpire is like oh you doofus man <laughs> <laughs> it's such a lost cause but yeah that was kind of like you know part of the history that i had here in the stadium yeah i know there's great
6: history and some great battles and let, let's end on this i mean you're gonna go down I anything mean, about yankee great center fielders you know joe dimaggio was uh from here in Northern California, you think Joe D, you think Mickey Mantle, you think Bernie Williams. I mean, oh, wow. that I mean playing center field for the Yankees is kind of a big deal.
4: Yeah, it's a very coveted uh, position in sports, all sports. Not in shortstop, you know. I think Derek sort of made that uh, kind of a famous position as, were, as well. But uh, I think you know, it was a combination of staying balanced and trying to be myself and not really try to put the pressure of emulating all these great players that played before me and uh, at the same time pushing myself to be the best that I could be so I can make my mark in the game whatever that was you know at the time Uh, trying to leave the game with no regrets you know put it all out there on the field and uh, you know when it was time to go it said you know I did it and I did it my way I had a lot of great memories I was very fortunate to be a part of a teams that went to the World Series there's people that play this game for years and years and years and never really had an opportunity even to go to the playoffs so I, we went to the World Series six times and we came victorious for them so uh, it, it is something that you have to feel so much gratitude for you know the time you know the place the people and all the experiences you know that that I went through that are still you know so so vivid to this to this point you know and I I'm so so happy and uh, so blessed to have the opportunity to do that.
6: I love you. Got the the guitar on your back. You're ready to rock. Let's get this thing ready going. Ready to go. Ready to go. Hey, thank you so much for stopping Absolutely, by. We man. truly thank appreciate you. it. Oh, and man. good luck with this second career. Uh, your your music's fabulous. I know everybody can follow you online and uh, kill it tonight.
4: Oh man, if I can if I can handle facing Barrizito out there, this is going to be hopefully a lot easier.
6: <laughs> He's one of the greats of his time, Bernie Williams, right here on
3: A's Cast Live.
6: Corey, nice to meet you. Chris Townsend with the A's.
3: Hi, guys. How are you? I'm sorry I'm a couple minutes late. How are you?
6: No problem. Um, I guess MLB has just come out with an article. We've all done good years and bad years, right? We've done a lot of good years here with the A's. Right Right. now, we're into a bad year. We are just talking about, you know, worst years at home record in the Billy Bean era. And I'm trying to figure out. I don't even remember what I said on my shows in 15 and 16. (laughs) How did I even get through those years? But MLB... Dot-com had the article, quick fix. Quick. It, was like, it
2: was like a quick fix for every MLB, every MLB team.
6: And the quick fix for the A's, now that you've seen the A's in Minnesota and here. Right. It was trade Paul Blackburn.
3: That's going to solve all the problems.
6: Next thing you know, we're going to have 30,000 people here.
3: I, I don't think that's the only issue right now. We're going to build the, the A's new A's ballpark. New interest, yeah.
6: Everything's going to be fine. Just trade yeah. Paul Blackburn.
3: That, 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 that will solve all the problems. Just make that one transaction. And this place will be filled. I I just disagree with that just a little bit, and I'm sure you guys do as well.
6: Yeah, it'll be like Raider games again (laughs) if you have Paul Blackburn not here anymore. How are you? Everything good? I'm good.
3: good. It's great to be out here. Beautiful day, and uh, love coming out here. And it is what it is coming here right now, but my memories of this place coming here not too long ago, great crowds, Sean Doolittle coming in, the the, the cats in right field, headbanging, the flags, the music, those are my memories recently of the Coliseum. So uh, it's sad to see what's going on right here because this is a great fan base.
6: Well, A's killer Carlos Correa, we haven't heard. We heard today could be reinstated at the bad finger. Luckily, wasn't broken. Uh, where are we with him? We've been down here. Is he reinstated or is that going to be tomorrow?
3: He is not back tonight, but all signs are, are pointing towards tomorrow, that he's going to be back tomorrow, and then we'll see what they do with Royce Lewis. That's an interesting question Trade the Twins Trade him the A's, right? to Make that move, and For then, Frankie Montas? then forget Blackburn. Yeah, yeah. forget Blackburn. Oh, you, you get want Royce Blackburn Le- instead? No, forget the Blackburn <laughs> idea. If you get Royce Lewis, then this place will be packed, but I think Correa's back tomorrow. You know, barring, you know, he's working out as we speak right now, barring something happening uh, today or tonight, I think Carlos is off the I.L. tomorrow.
6: I think about the Twins, and I love going to Target Field. I mean, unfortunately, we haven't been there in a while, but uh, last time I was there, I'm like, God, this place is fantastic. And I just think about this team and the struggles to get over the hump in the postseason, and what a perfect guy to sign because as we have had to deal with for years and other teams in the postseason, he's the dude. He's that guy. And I'm just wondering what the true of, we had Sonny Gray on earlier. You know, we've known Sonny since he uh, we drafted him in the first round out of Vanderbilt. And great to see him again. Just asking, like, what does he do for that clubhouse to get this team over the hump? Because obviously the Twins have been good for a long time.
3: They've been good, but they just have had this horrendous postseason losing streak, 18 straight postseason losses. But they've they tried to just add – from the outside, guys that have postseason experience to help impact that drought, to try to change that narrative, and you go with the guy at shortstop who who won that tainted World Series in seventeen. I, I have no issue saying that, but still, the postseason resume speaks for itself. The guy has been a perennial postseason player. He's performed at the highest level. He is amazing to watch at short. I'll say this: you know, I, I saw him just for six or seven games the last you know few seasons, but before he got hurt, watching him play shortstop every single day, you get it. You see why the platinum glove, you see why the gold glove, the arm strength, the quick hands, all the skills that you want in a shortstop, that that six-foot, four-inch frame, I get it now. I mean, seeing him every single day, this guy is the real deal, and that's why, you know, he's making the money that he's making. And, you know, I hope it's going to be a three-year run. I have my doubts about that. It's an interesting contract he signed, but for as long as he's a twin, it's great to have him.
6: Now I want you to know you're safe here. If you ever want to talk about the Astros being tainted, this is the place <laughs> you is the can place do, it to do it. Because yeah. you're
3: speaking to the people who yeah. uh, love to hear that. Yeah, facts are facts. I mean, like you can't you can't argue that.
6: So let's just say Correa continues to play well, stays healthy, leads you guys deeper into the postseason. Because I think everybody jumped the gun on the White Sox, saying that Twins are not the team. Twins to me are still the team to be. What do you do if he's, if he's like, you know what, let's ink something up long-term. I love I love Minnesota. I love playing here. Target Field's awesome. This is a great place for me. I think I can win another championship here. Uh, you got this hot shot kid at short. Mm-hmm. What do you do?
3: Well, let's see what happens if if Carlos is back tomorrow and Royce goes back down. I'm curious to see if he goes back down and just plays short or seven games a week if he's at short for four days. He plays third base for two and plays left field. He hasn't done that yet, but I'm wondering if he does go back down. Does Royce move around a little bit more than he has? Now, he was the Fall League MVP, you know, pre-pandemic, and he was playing center field in the Arizona Fall League. That was out of necessity. Based on some other roster management, that was not the plan. Just based on the only way Royce was going to play on that team was for him to play center, and he played great, and he was the MVP. That's fine. But I'm curious to see if, indeed, that's the move. Carlos is back and Royce is down. I think he's going to move around a little bit for the first time. Still play the bulk of his time. It's short, but maybe squeeze in some third and some left field here if that move happens.
6: What a luxury because you already got a terrific third baseman. You already got a shortstop playing second base. Uh, Adding another out Your outfield's already fantastic. I mean, if Byron can play more, hopefully, but – I mean that isn't that just a, just a wealth right there of athletes and defense at the one of the great strengths of the ball club.
3: And you look at how they added to this team after the after the lockout ended. They were busy. They did not trade away too many young players. They did trade away a first round pick from last year to get Sonny Gray and Chase Petty. But in terms of position players, they loved the deal that they made with the Blue Jays for Barrios last year to get two guys. Austin Martin was viewed as the best bat in the 2020 draft. He's a shortstop, also playing some second base. He's moving around playing some outfield. He's a double A. They got Simeon Woods Richardson in that trade. He's off to a great start starting at double A. So they, they they added to their team without giving up some of their top guys. And that's why the farm system, they they like it a lot. Now it's going to take a hit as these guys mature and graduate and eventually impact the big league club. But but they like their farm system a lot. So adding from within is still going to be a possibility from starters who did not throw in 2020 that we know of, no minor league season. Some of these guys were hurt in 2021, but a few of these guys that are back healthy in 2022 are looking really good and not looking good at A-ball. I mean, they're a double A and triple A, so they're on the cusp of being at target field here pretty soon.
6: Before we get to pitching and obviously joking, but Frankie Montas obviously would be uh, someone that Twins would be interested in. But Sanchez behind the dish, I just wonder for him – Great to play for the Yankees. Great to play on the biggest stage. Every player should want that. But sometimes, I mean, everything you do, they were on him on everything. And now to go to Minnesota, not saying that you guys aren't covered, not saying Minnesota's not a great sports town. Working in the NFL, Being I've done games, uh, Raiders against the Vikings. I mean, I love Minnesota, but just – how nice is it for him to be out of New York in a place like Minnesota where everybody is just not ridiculing him every game? For If there's a pass ball next to you, you know, it's a big thing in the notes every day. How right. big is that for him?
3: Right. I mean, if Gary goes 0 for 10, 0 for 12, he's not being booed. If he goes 0 for 10, 0 for 12 at Yankee Stadium for the third or fourth straight year he's had a spell like that, they're probably killing him. He had a play defensively on the last homestand that if you watched it, it looked bad. That a throw in from left field and a relay play, he missed it, missed it badly. And immediately you're like, oh, there's Sanchez, bad defense. But then if you look at the replay, the relay threw at the lip of the infield grass. He had no chance. He's setting up, waiting for the one-hop throw, hit the lip of the grass, a ton of spin, kicked way out of his reach. He had no chance. I I think in New York they would still skewer him for that. Like that's his fault when in reality, look at the play, had no chance. The, The pressure is lightened. No doubt about that. And Sanchez wasn't hitting. His numbers weren't all that great until the last four or five days. Had a great series offensively against Cleveland over the weekend. Had a great game last night. So Sanchez right now, the bats come to life here a little bit. And that he should be motivated, right? Free agent at the end of the year. You know, get rid of that Yankee stadium. Get rid of that Yankees run. You know, start anew with the Twins and prove to people that, hey, I'm still in my late 20s, that I can play and I'm deserving of a good contract after the 2022 season, and the run he's on right now offensively is encouraging, and his framing numbers too defensively are are going up. He's never going to be the best in the game at blocking bowls, but in terms of what the Twins need to save strikes and frame the baseball, his numbers are improving.
6: When the trading deadline get closer, obviously everybody's going to be calling here for one guy. Even though Paul Blackburn could fix all of <laughs> northern all the problems, all of Northern right. California, we may never have an earthquake again okay. if if we trade Paul Blackburn. Right. Uh, but Frankie Montas, and we just had Frankie on, and it's like, and I and God, I've been doing all these interviews with him. I've watched him grow as a professional. You just hate to lose him, but we know it's going to happen. But what he could mean to somebody, I mean, the, you know right before you guys got here, he just punched out 12 against the Angels. He looks pretty dominant. He's strong. What could a guy like that help out with already the good arms that you have?
3: Well, I think it just enhances the depth that they have. And Joe Ryan, who has become our, our de facto one, and he's a rookie. He's made, what, 12 starts in his career. He was out there on opening day, second Twins rookie to ever to that. You know, is Joe Ryan really a number one? I don't think we know that yet. Frankie Montas is that guy. Frankie Montas has the resume and the stuff to be an elite, elite frontline starter. So you you get to that postseason series, and that's a pretty good, you know, you trim down that starting staff. I think it would mean wonders, wonders for any team, and I'm sure the Twins are are going to be in on him, as I'm sure the other, you know, 28 other teams would love to have Frankie Montas on their team. So. He would do wonders for the staff, and I think that would be pretty compelling that if uh, you get to the final three games of the year, the Twins play in Chicago. They wrap up the season three games against the White Sox, and if it came down to that and you got Frankie Montas going up against Lance Lynn or Dylan Cease or Lucas Giolito, you like your chances uh, with the game and maybe the, the postseason on the line on that particular day
6: you know, yeah. Royce just has to walk right right over.
3: <laughs> You're in on him. I get it, man. You know, the first overall pick in 2017. and It's like a, guy,
6: it's like a minute walk from clubhouse yeah, to clubhouse. It's pretty short. Can we just switch gear? Right. It'd be that fast. I mean,
3: Mania did it in spring training, right? Uh, I mean, Mania he,
6: left his gear. Uh, did you hear about that?
3: I just know that he was traded, and then that same day, he faced the A's in spring training so, as a Padre.
6: So, this is so Oakland A's. Manaya gets traded. We're all in there. Ho, ho, Cam. He comes in, tears, hugging everybody. Bassett's up. We knew, but Bassett had already left. Right. Chapman, Olsen. And, but he was like the final piece. It was very emotional. You know, everybody went I actually said, hey, can I get you over to the Padres after? And he's like, all right. So I'm actually doing the interview with Dalton Jeffries, and he's crying with guys, and I'm like, cameras, like, this is bizarre he leaves his stuff his stuff is in the locker his car is in the a's parking lot <laughs> he walks over has his green glove luckily the gold shoes match the padres right. gold right pitches for the padres he comes back so i'm in the padres clubhouse and you know i'm cool with melvin so i'm in there and i get Manaya. Manaya has to get then go get all that you're like Only this could happen to the Oakland A's. You trade the guy. He pitches against you that day. But all this stuff is still in the clubhouse. His car is still in the A's parking lot. I mean,
3: where else does this happen in Major League Baseball other than the the Oakland A's? Yeah, that stuff does happen. That's odd. That's an odd story. But, yeah, I mean, I I think that. It's sad, though. I mean, all this that's totally gone on. All these great players have left this this team and this awesome team, contending team, the last couple of years, and it's it's sad. Mark Kotze is a guy I, I was lucky enough to cover him uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers in 2011. So I'll always root for him. He was great to me that year. Came up with some big hits during that uh, during that playoff year for Milwaukee. He and Council were teammates, and uh, so I'll root for Mark Kotze forever. so I wish him the best.
6: What do you What do you expect? After what you've seen so far, obviously injuries. But there's been times they haven't played well. What do you expect from the White Sox?
3: I think their depth is being tested. I mean, the White Sox, per MLB.com, have the worst farm system in Major League Baseball. So their depth is being tested. But still, they they just got Joan Moncada back. They're going to get Lance Lynn back here in June. They're going to get Aloy Jimenez back here at some point over the summer. And when they have all their dudes... That's a that's a great lineup. That's a beast of a pitching staff. Joe Kelly's been up and down, but he's just came back from the injured list. Liam Hendricks is going to figure it out. I mean, if the White Sox have all their guys, you know, I think it's a tough matchup. The Twins right now, over the next couple of weeks, you know, after they're done with this series, they go to Kansas City, go home, it's Royals and Tigers. Go back on the road, it's Tigers. So they have a stretch here the next two and a half, three weeks, that this has to be a run here. I mean, it'd be great if they win every single game, but I think right now, The schedule's going to toughen up in June. They go to Toronto. Uh, The Yankees come to target field. The Rays come to target field. So the schedule picks up significantly for the Twins in June. So now is the time that if the Twins are going to build a cushion and add to their lead, it has to happen over the next couple of weeks.
6: Let's end on this. There's been a lot of interesting things at the start of the season. Obviously, the way we all got started after lockout, but – you know, our man Chris Bassett, Eric Chavez, wondering what the baseball is, wonder what it is day to day, let alone for the national games or our new Apple and Peacock games. Mm-hmm. Uh, batting average down, home runs down, humidors, everybody has a humidor now. Uh, we have a whole thing about how minor league games are going much faster. We're seeing these young pitchers come up, work faster, pitch com. For you, what's been the most interesting thing so far this season?
3: I like Pitchcom. so saw it in spring training. Uh, I, I, was, I was a fan of it in, in terms of concept and then had to see it play out in spring training games. Loved it then, and I think it certainly has helped in terms of pace of play. You're not seeing all the meetings, you're not seeing too many pitchers get crossed up at least you shouldn't in theory. So I'm a big fan. I think pitchcom has been has been great. I think next season the shift goes away. I think we will see a pitch clock. I, I'm not as you know you know excited about the the increased size of bases that they're dabbling with in the modern leagues 15 inches right now they're going up to 18 inches. That to me is not as important as a pitch clock. And if for a while I was for the shift, but now over time I'd be okay if that went away. But I think Pitchcom has really done wonders here, seeing the pace of play, just seeing how quickly the catcher and pitcher agree on what they're going to throw, when they're going to throw it. I think that's been a wonderful addition to this game.
6: Great stuff. We appreciate having Have a Guys, thank tonight. you so
3: much. All right. Thank you for the nice weather, by the way. This is fantastic. Yeah. Love hey, it. This no matter what, good, at least at at least oh, at least this. least sun in California. I'll take sun. No possum, man. We got to get rid of these <laughs> possums upstairs. I'm broadcasting, looking around the ceiling tiles, not looking at the field, worried about my dinner. So. Hey, hey, can the possum at least get us some runs? Yeah, you got a possum rally, I'm sure at some point.
6: Here. Yeah, we we were now putting fans are putting together rally possum yeah, shirts, so we'll sounds see. About right. Well, here on A's Cast live from the field, we're gonna start with a interview for you of someone who I know a lot of you A's fans. You loved him here as an Oakland A, and one of the things that
1: another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com
5: slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
6: You think about with my job all these years is getting to see players, whether they stay with us or not, you get to see them uh, mature as professional athletes you see them grow as people you see him come out of a college like Vanderbilt and next thing you know show up your are pitching playoff games and then uh, obviously it was sad to see you go but he's now back with us and we love having Sonny Gray on the program my friend it's been a while how are
0: you it has been I'm I'm good like I said life is good uh, it feels really good to, to be back here I think this is my maybe my third time back but this time it it feels good. It always feels good to come back here. Uh, the the ride into the to the field, everything. It just it just feels it just feels nice. So, I, I'm good. I'm doing I'm doing very well. Everybody always says
6: it's just comfortable. It feels like home.
0: Well, you hear you go you go to other teams. So when you're here, you don't know any better. You're just kind of like here, and this is this is what it. Especially when you, like for me coming up here and and it was, like make your debut as rookie here, doing all the things here in Oakland. It was like. This was it, and then you go to their place, and they're like, "Oh, you like Oakland?" I was like, "I loved it. I loved it." Because everyone's like, yeah. "Oh," and I'm like, I, I, "I don't know. There's just something about that place that's just awesome." So, um, yeah, it does. It's 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 always nice to come back. It just it's a, there's a lot of history. There's a lot, it's it's very unique place, and it's uh it's it's got a special part for me.
6: Yeah, people don't understand because they look at the all the issues that we have with the ballpark and everything, but the era that you were here. And when you think of Bob Melvin, mm-hmm. you think of all the guys you competed with at such a high level and the playoff games and the packed crowds, there was something special about that era. It's always hard to put your finger on exactly just one thing, just but for you guys that yeah. were so close, it was a magical time. Yeah,
0: the walk-off wins. I mean, so many times we there were walk-offs hit and, and walk-off wins happening here. And uh, it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. I came up in that. I think 12 was going to the playoffs, and then I came up and jumped right in the middle of it in 13, and then did it again in 14, and uh, and it was kind of like those years 12, 13, and 14, just kind of being in the middle of it and being here and coming up in that spot was it was it was a really fun time here. That's that's for sure. We had a, we had a lot of fun, um, and like I said, the the fans were it was. There were a lot of packed games. Uh, I remember the playoff games, and it's just you look around at this place and look at all the seats, and it was just. I was trying to tell some guys over there. I was like, "Hey, when this place gets going, it's there's there's not a place like it."
6: It was like a football game. It was like the NFL and yeah. the Raiders during those games, and I remember. Doing my talk show outside the stadium because we weren't allowed in because ESPN and other people had the rights. So even though we're here all year long, we got kicked <laughs> to the curb outside for the playoffs. Crazy how
0: that happened. And
6: everybody was like, "Well, how do you feel about Sonny Gray starting?" You're like, "Hey, stuff plays. I don't care how young he is." <laughs> and you know who we just had on the show was Jim Leland, okay. and talking about Tigers A's. Mm-hmm verlander cabrera and of course just saw cabrera yeah. and thinking about you pitching against them brings back all these memories yeah. and for them they remember that this was the loudest stadium they'd ever been in
0: i believe it i believe it because i remember what we had game one two and then game five here um yeah it, it was it, this place gets rolling it's a uh, it's a special place and you get all these fans on top of you it was a. Uh, is a very very special place, and I'm sure I'm sure it still has its moments still. Um, but I, I vividly remember those and and um, things I'll remember forever. So you know, once you're an A, you're always
6: an A, and we're always gonna root for you no matter where you go. And I think about when you made the comeback and came off the IL. We're root for you to, to pitch well. How you feeling now? Where are you right now?
0: Yeah, I feel good. Um, I. I as everyone did I had a little bit of a slower start the spring was kind of it was different for a, for a lot of reasons and um I, I you know coming out of spring I felt okay and then I went on the IL for a little while and then I, I just started um I guess two starts ago against the A's in Minnesota and I've made one more start after that and then I'll, I'll throw tomorrow so the way I see it, it's kind of like my third start of the year I don't really count the first two kind of like laboring through some things um so I feel good. I feel. I feel. I feel good. It's just now I'm just just building, trying to trying to build some momentum, create some uh, consistency on the mound, and just and just kind of continue to get my feet under me and continue to just get you know get into the flow of the season and keep kind of keep kind of moving forward. So uh, I, I feel good. Uh, I feel good, and um, you know I like it in Minnesota. It's a really really good group of guys. Um, it's 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 been fun getting to know all of these guys that that are over there currently. Uh, it's a bunch of new new faces that came over to the team. So um, yeah, it's 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 good. I, I really like the spot that I'm in.
6: Killer ballpark, good team, good situation, first place. Mm-hmm. I, I love it for you. And, and I think about like what Stephen Boat Stephen Boat I always used to talk about catching you was like, I don't know where it's going. Sometimes <laughs> I don't think he knows where it's going because it's that magic that you have that natural movement and it can change throughout the game for you and you can move the ball around i know we've had many of conversations yeah. about that so i can see a guy like you you don't have much of a spring training i can see where it may take a little bit of time yeah. because you got a lot going on when you're out on the mountain
0: yeah it's a, it's a it's a there's a lot of feels that i that i feel when i'm out there and a lot of a lot of like manipulation and a lot of like um Getting on the same page with this person, this person, because sometimes I'll just do something different with the ball, and I kind of need you to to know that that's about to happen. Uh, I got to see Vody yesterday, which was really cool. Uh, I gave him a big hug. Uh, he was out there in right field, um, so that was that was special. He's he's one of my all time favorite human beings of all time, as probably a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people. Um, he, he's he's great. But yeah, you're right. I just I do do some some different stuff every all, every every now and then, and just. And just see what happens
6: i think about one of the strengths for this ball club is defense and for you as a pitcher what does that mean to you that kind of everywhere you look on the diamond mm-hmm. you got a player out mm-hmm. there that can really help you out
0: yeah that's that's kind of new for me uh, over the last few years it is um, it, it, honestly too and this can be like cl- cliche and you can hear people say this but they put in a lot of time and a lot of effort in defense. Like there's, they're constantly working on it, they're constantly talking about it. Um, it's something that's not just like taken for granted. It's not just like, hey, you just go out here and do this. It's, it's, it, it. They take a lot of effort and a lot of thought, and 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 it, it, you can tell they care about it. Um, the the defensive guys and this team in general like really care about it, which is, which is nice. And it's it's nice as a pitcher to, to, to know that hey, these guys are these guys putting the time, putting the effort. It's, it genuinely matters to them. Um, you know, so that makes you that makes you feel comfortable and happy, and it makes you want to run and reciprocate and do the same. So it's, it's a nice way to have all, all aspects and all part of the game kind of flowing together.
6: I'm not sure where Correa is from a standpoint of Reen Stadium. I know it's either going to be today or tomorrow, whatever it's going to be. But we do know this, having played against yeah. him for so long and what he's done in the postseason – He's one of those guys, he's the dude. Like, he's legit. Like, mm-hmm. and like, even through the scandal, after the scandal, he's like, you know, he's the guy that flipped you the bird, said, I'm here to play. I don't care what you guys think. I'm winning games. Just what has he done inside that clubhouse to help change the culture A winning? It's already been a winning culture, but to try and get the Twins over that hump.
0: Yeah, he's great. He's, he's a special player. Uh, playing against him, you see how talented he is and how special he is, and he's, he's been on a winning team his whole career, you know, and pretty much his whole life, so – um, he's a very, very special player on the field. And he's a very, very special person off the field as well, um, and that's something that I'm getting to see firsthand now, um, just being around him every day. Um, he brings a lot of uh, he brings a lot of special abilities and special talents, and and um, and, and good energy to, to the to the field every day. And it's a uh, it, it really is a joy to to be around him. Did it tick you guys off a little bit that everybody just tried to? say white Sox are the champs
6: best team in the american league gave nobody else in the central heck pretty much didn't give very many people of them maybe like the astros yankees some team blue jays a a chance in the american league did you guys go whoa 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 we're still the big boys in this division
0: did that tick you off um honestly there's so many new faces on this team i don't really like me personally the way i see it i didn't even really I didn't know much about the division at all coming into it. So I didn't really, I don't really hear that or listen to that. Um, I, I don't follow that as far as what other people are saying. Uh, it's not something that I live, that I do on a day-to-day basis is listen to what this person says or this person says. So not really, I, I haven't really heard that. Um, so I just, there's a lot of new faces in on this team and there's a lot of, uh, guys that come over that have won for a long time and that, that would say or bring winning attitudes. So I, I don't – personally, I don't, I don't see – I don't hear that. If yeah, that makes any that's
6: sense. just us in the media talking about yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I don't mean to say this,
0: but I don't listen you to can y'all. Say it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. You listen. know how it rolls here. Yeah, I'm totally honest. I don't, I, don't, I don't listen to y'all, so I, I don't listen to the media anymore. I learned my lesson that way, so I just kind of, I just kind of keep that stuff at a distance and and control what I can control on a day to day basis and. With myself and getting my work done, and other than that, I just kind of don't listen to the noise.
6: Your career now has been pretty interesting with the with the places you've gone. I mean, obviously, we all know about this place, but then you go to the Yankees, which is a whole different ball mm-hmm. game. Then you go to the Reds, now to the Twins. What's it? What's the difference? Playing on the coast, mm-hmm. playing here, big market, but the A's are different, as we know. Going to the Yankees and then playing in the Midwest. What? What's the difference between the different uh, places?
0: It's a uh location geographically i couldn't have done it any crazier go as far west as you can go then go all the way up to the northeast and go right to the middle and then go all the way to the top if i knock out a florida team then i'll kind of will be <laughs> all over the place i'll be literally all over the map um every team's unique in their own way um they really truly are i mean but it's so every every team's so different it's so different in their own way as well um just like you got to just think of like living your life in a different place you literally just up and move to A random place a lot of and sometimes not by choice um so you just got to adapt on the fly and kind of make the most out of it as you can but literally i mean places could a lot of places just couldn't be more different
6: let's end on this you know we start seeing you growing a family while you're here how is the family how is everybody and what's going on with sunny gray off the field
0: yeah everyone's great uh everyone's really really good uh my wife jessica um she's doing awesome um we live in uh we live in in tennessee still right right south of nashville um gunner was born while i was in oakland in 2015 he's seven now so he's he's growing up and he's in first grade and um going to school and playing baseball and playing hockey and doing his thing and now uh declan was born in new york he's three turns four in september um, he's awesome. Gunner and Declan couldn't be couldn't be the opposite from each other, and they're both so awesome in their own way. Uh, declan is, is is so loving and smiles and um, just such a good kid. Um, yeah, they're they're growing up. Um family's family's, family's great. Um, everything's great. I, I texted Jessica and was talking to her a little bit yesterday uh, just about being back out here, and she said the same thing. She said, yeah, that place does feel like home. Uh, she did mention Bowmill because he was so we were so close with Bowmill when he was here. Uh, she said if Bowmill was still there it'd really feel like and I was like, Yeah, I know. Um, but I, I, I did talk to him recently and uh, he said he was doing well. Um, I know he's been out for a little bit of time. He said he was feeling well and, and uh, feeling really good, so um that was that was good news and good to hear. Um, but everything's good and everything's good with us. Just uh, just just really wanna at this point in my career, I've been close at times. I just really wanna I just really want to win a championship and i it's kind of like my main focus is 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 to I do want to get back to to the postseason and win a championship and um, you know and and hopefully it's uh, here in Minnesota.
6: Yeah, uh, on the Bob Melvin front doing well. Uh, I was texting with him and he's he wants to get back. Yeah. on like Thursday, and I yeah. think the putters are like, well, let's take a little more time. <laughs> uh, but he is doing well, and I know about your relationship and how much he loved you. Uh, and, and that's kind of like the one thing that, you know, it's like every single series we always have like a former A, and we love bringing him over here. And I just always want to say thank you because you were always so good to us here with the A's broadcasters and all the different shows that I did. And, of course, we'll always be rooting for you. And good luck the rest of the season. You be well with the family. and. uh Hopefully sometime we'll see in the postseason. That's right. Hopefully this year. The great Sonny Gray. Thanks so much, Sonny. Right here on A's Cast Live. I want to talk to a guy that, you know, when I was growing up, he was one of my favorite players. And whenever you get into this business and you start doing shows with one of your favorite players, you kind of get worried, right? Because what if he's not a good guy? What if that guy you grew up watching is a pain in the ass, and you got to work with him? You don't love him anymore. I never have to worry about that with my guy Bip Roberts, as you see him on NBC Sports California doing A's pre and post game live. The kid from Oakland, the All Star Bipster. How are
1: you? Telling you the man, I want you to do my eulogy, man. You know, you take care of me, man. You, I'm good though. I'm good.
6: You talk about the talent onto the field, and and as you know, you can't teach pretty.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I haven't but I'll tell you Tony I'm having a good time doing this tv thing man it's been 21 years now wow you know and uh we've worked together and we've had some good times and I just owe it to everyone that's in the industry to help kind of to mold me into being who I am because when I first got on here I was a little shy when it comes to television but they told me be yourself it took a few years but I'm comfortable doing it. And now, you know, you talk about 21 years later, we're still doing it.
6: Well, you know, I think about, you know, covering this team. Obviously, it hasn't been easy because when you have the lowest batting average, lowest on base, lowest slugging. You know, there's not a whole lot to talk about when you're losing games. But Mark Kotze, who's coming on a little bit later, but we taped it earlier today, talked about how small ball, it's got to be a must. The baseball that you grew up with, Bip, and the baseball that you played in the big leagues, I mean, if you're not hitting home runs, if you're not walking and hitting home runs, you better make some changes. And it sounds like the A's are going to start putting an emphasis more on the game that you grew up playing and loving.
1: Yeah. And I, and I love that. Just like you said, I love when you start talking about baseball players being athletes and you have to create offense. It doesn't just happen with one swing at a bat where you hit a three run home run, or, you know, you got six guys in the lineup and their job is to hit home runs the Cleveland Indians this year. They have an 85% contact rate and they have six guys that are in the top 50 when it comes to contact. And it just tells me that the game is coming back to that. You can see it now. And when you look at it and you see home runs are down and some guys who've had, you know, 40 home runs in the past at this particular point don't have any home runs. You know, story got three home runs yesterday. It took him a while to get home runs and he's a home run hitter. So I just believe that, as you said, Kotsay understands that he has to have guys in a lineup who can put the ball in play, use the entire field, go opposite field when they have to in situations like Minnesota did this last series. Every time there was a shift or a hole, Minnesota hit the hole and you know, you talk about scoring 14 runs by doing the right thing when it comes to being at the plate and having an approach. So yes, the A's, they have to get back to having the right approach when it comes to hitting the ball where it's pitched.
6: When you're struggling, you know, it's a mental game. Obviously you, you have the tools, you have the hand-eye coordination, you have the strength, you got everything, you got the vision, you got everything you need to get to this level. But once you get to this level and you're struggling, I get it. You can take extra BP. You can do a lot of different stuff, a lot of different stuff. But the reality is it's all between your ears, and it's about confidence. It's the mental side of the game. What did you used to do if you were in a funk to help you get out of that funk and get you back to being Bip Roberts?
1: Well, the one thing I did was I always went back to square one, regardless if I got hits that day or no hits. First thing I'm gonna do when I get to the park is I'm getting on the batting tee. I learned that from Tony Gwynn. You go back to square one every day and you work from square one and you move forward. If you get four hits today, it doesn't mean you don't go back to the tee tomorrow because then you've lost your preparation. So you always have to have that preparation. The preparation is what gives you the confidence. If you don't have the preparation, you go into a game with the unknown. Well, I didn't work on the pitch away today or I didn't work on the pitch inside. And when I got a pitch inside, I didn't have the right swing. Well, when you're working on in in batting practice or pregame batting practice or on your drills, you're gonna get the right swing. That's gonna register your muscle memory and you try to carry that into the game. Now, the biggest factor of confidence is to get four good swings in a game, hit the ball hard, and if you get one hit, you build on that. And that's how you get your confidence back.
6: How many slumps did Tony Gwynn go into?
1: I never seen one. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
6: <laughs> <laughs> like, he struck out three times in a game, one time. Bob Welch with the Dodgers, one time he struck. Like, you got guys, how many times are they striking out in a week? I mean, it's like, I can't. And you know what I kind of like about what we're kind of see with this little bit of shift? And we had Stephen Kwan on the show from the Cleveland Indians, a kid from uh, Fremont who is doing so well out of Oregon State and, and making a ton of contact. And it's like. If we could bring back guys like Wade Boggs, Tony Gwynn, a player like yourself, Paul Mauler, George Brett, boy, what they would be worth in today's game. We've got so many guys hitting 220, if not 180 in the lineup. Can you imagine if you had guys in the lineup hitting 360, how much they would stand out?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, Tony, and I and I agree with that. But, but I also know that these guys are facing – some guys that bring cheddar, man, these guys are throwing 95 to 105 and, and things are just a little different. So I, I give them that. I understand that now they have to make different adjustments, but hitting to me is hitting strikes hitting to me is making sure that you're prepared to go out there with an approach according to who you're facing. I mean, these guys throw the ball right down the middle. There, there should be no reason why you can't hit the ball hard two out of three times in a game. So yeah, When it comes to guys like Boggs and Gwynn and Molitor and Mattingly and Barry Bonds and Larkin and all these guys who could really swing the bat, I think they would take advantage of guys who put shifts on them because they could use the entire field. So I think the skills that we had, it's a little more in-depth than the skills that guys have right now because we really could not hit 220 and be in the big leagues. We would be definitely in the minor leagues or our bags would be packed and we'd be flying home somewhere.
6: You'd be getting a TV job. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You're hitting 220. It's uh, Yeah, you're playing a vacation. Um, When you think of Christian Pache, I'm tired of talking about the numbers because none of them are good. And we know that athletically he's a beast. Uh, center fielder, I mean, Bip, when you're up next to him, he looks like a free safety in the NFL. 6'2", about 215, run like the wind. I mean, I guarantee if he grew up in this country, he would have played some football, Uh, you know, but right now he's struggling and I don't want to hear barrel rate. I've seen so many balls hit into the ground, ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. I mean, like his last two hits have been ground balls. What advice would you give him? Cause you understand what it's like to be up at a really early age. And there's a lot that you got to learn. There's not only how to play the game, it's in between the lines, but it's how to, it's how to be a pro off the field, how to deal with your life. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's, you know, speaking a you know, doesn't speak the language fluently. I mean, there's a lot of obstacles at a young age. What advice would you give him?
1: The first thing I would say to him is listen to the veteran guys. Don't act as if you already know because you don't know right now. You have to find that veteran guy who can mentor you while he's on the field playing. I was blessed, I had Gary Templeton, I had Tony Gwynn, I had Joe Carter, I have even had a chance to watch Roberto Alomar grow as a player. And the one thing that I was told by Gary Templeton that I did well was I listened to what he said and I tried to implement what he said. I, I was able to hit with Tony Gwynn and continue to learn exactly the skills of hitting. Now, you know, with Christian Pache, I just, I love his athleticism. I see what's happening to him where teams are exploiting him away with the fastball and, uh, and exploiting him away with the slider. I saw him working extra the other day, doing some soft toss, some front soft toss, trying to make sure that he got his bat hit straight to the ball inside. He's had a kind of a loop to get to that baseball. So there's a lot of things as a young hitter, he's gotta iron out because the big leagues will exploit your weaknesses. The T is the best thing for this young man to work on because it will not lie When you hit the ball well, you will get a line drive. When you don't, the T will tell you that that wasn't the right swing. I just think the muscle memory now that he receives in his brain has to be correct information. He can't continue to have really bad at bats, chasing bad pitches, swinging at strikes out out the strike zone, and expect to get better. He's got to discipline himself, learn his strike zone, stay within it, and then try to make good swings when he's in the batter's box during the game.
6: You know, Bip, they always say there's no I in team. And then people like me will go, yeah, but there's an M and an E. So watch out for that no I in team because I'll find some me all day of the week. And that's what scares me about bad teams. Because as you know, having played on bad teams, people start thinking, hey, this is my career. Everything's about my own stats. Everything's about getting paid, playing maybe to go somewhere else. You stop that team concept in the clubhouse on the field where it's about the team and about winning. What is the big key for Mark Kotze? I know it's early. It's early for him. A lot of his coaches have been around. But what is the key to keeping the continuity inside the clubhouse and keep everything on team and still trying to win games and not everybody being all about themselves?
1: Well, yeah, the the message has to be that, you know, I'm the manager – I'm gonna do everything I can to put you in a situation to succeed. Now I need you to do the work so that when I put you in, you will succeed. Because if you're not doing the work and I put you in and you fail, then your mentality continues to falter. And then you start seeing the slumped shoulders, the head down and things like that. You know, I'm just one who always believes that the more games you win, the less changes that will be made. When you lose, and guys come and guys go that's very tough for players to not know if they're going to be here today and gone tomorrow but when you win there are no changes so if you can get everyone to believe that it's easier for families if we come out here play our best and win games because then we don't make changes and you don't have to worry about it being a me me i i type team it's a we because together we get the positive results of winning And together we get to stay here in the big leagues and not have to worry about what happens to us off the field.
6: Well, that's why you got to control Brody Brazil because, you know, Brody will go on his own and Brody wants to start. (laughs) And you're like, hey, we still got to do this together.
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, Brody Brazil, (laughs) you know, that's my guy, man. You know, you guys are my guys, man. Sometimes Brody, Brody loves the A's so much that sometimes he gets blinded because he loves the A's more than what he actually sees. And I always have to pop him on the back of the head and let him, hey, Brody, Brody, wake up, wake up, you know, and then he'll start to come back to reality sometimes.
6: Well, that is the thing that, I, you know, it's one thing to be an ex-player. And obviously, we want to hear from ex-players. But I think what you and Shooty bring is that whole different, yeah, you guys played, but you, you've coached, and you've coached for a long, long time shooty has coached and been a scout for a long long time so there is that oh yeah you played the game aspect but you guys have watched the game just not as as players but as guys who are coaches and evaluators and I really see that's always been your guy's strength so you can look at a guy like me or a guy like Brody and be like whoa 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 whoa. you're not seeing it the same I mean you can view it from the lenses of that coach, which I don't think a lot of people understand that.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when you play and you play with some great players and been taught some things, you can see things while they're happening. Whereas the naked eye, guys who haven't been taught that, they can't see it. So I'm watching games and I see things and I tell Brody, did you see that? And he goes, no. No. That's I had I had like a little segment called. Did you see that? Yes. (laughs) You know, because I could see that and, and he couldn't see that. So I'd have to explain it to him. And you're definitely right. When you coach and you're working to develop young kids to be the best that they can be, you take them to the lab and you start to work individually with them and you break their swings down and then you build them back up. And now when you watch them hit, you go, hey, you're still not doing what we asked you to do because you still have that little flaw in your swing. We have to continue to take that thing out. There's a little loop there. You know, you're not, you're not getting ready upon the release of the baseball. You're waiting until the ball's behind you or past you before you, you even take your step to get loaded. So there's a lot of little things that we see, whether it's hitting, whether it's fielding, whether it's base running, or whatever it may be. Because, you know, when you get to the big leagues, you're taught by some of the greatest coaches in the world. I was taught by Davey Lopes a lot of things when it comes to base running that I see guys are doing incorrectly right now. And if I was to speak on it, I probably would mess up every little league coach in America.
6: Isn't it amazing how, can we get the running game back? I mean, the fact that, I mean, when, when you were coming up and you think, I mean, obviously we can always reference Ricky Henderson, but that's not fair. But you could think about Tim Raines, Vince Coleman. There were so many guys. You're talking about Davey Lopes, a great Dodger. I mean, there, there was some Maury Wills. You just think of all these guys that stole bases and and what the – they wreaked havoc, and it caused defenses to make mistakes, and you got into scoring position. And the game had – even though we have so many great athletes in the game right now, we don't always get to see their athleticism. And, and, and seriously, Bip, just going first to third, running the bases, there, if we could just get some of that back in the game, it would help score – more runs, which in the end is the most important thing in our game. It is to
1: score runs. That's the goal when you get on first base. Right? To score runs. Or else it's not a successful time on base, in my opinion. One of the greatest base runners that is just overlooked of all times is Willie McGee. Willie McGee was outstanding. When it comes to professional base running, running the first base, Willie always hit first base with his left foot. He hit it for with first base with the left foot for a reason. One is he's always going to hit the inside part of the base with his left foot as he's rounding the bases. But at first base, you hit the base with the left foot. You have a collision with the first baseman. Now you go to your right foot and you're able to get away. If you hit it with your right foot and you have a collision with the first baseman, your left foot has nowhere to go. And you're probably going to get hurt. But Willie McGee, from standstill to full speed was one of the fastest six foot two guys I've ever seen. (laughs) And he always went from first to third on a base hit anywhere. I don't care. And he played on turf, which made it tougher. But Willie McGee understood how to cut the bases, shorten his length from base to base and get there safely. Majority of the time.
6: Those Whitey Herzog in the old Bush stadium on that horrible turf, they all could fly in the 80s
1: <laughs> oh my Tommy her had over yeah. 100 rbis with like six home runs seven right? i
6: think i think it was seven it was, home was runs it and seven like, home runs i think it was right. seven home runs and 114 rbis
1: 114 rbi he just let the cardinals the, the birds just fly around the bases and he did what was capable or what was needed at the time to get those guys in those guys had a, a brand of baseball that I think it transitions to today. day. When you look at the St. Louis Cardinals, they have a St. Louis Cardinal way of playing baseball. They always are right there in the thick of things. They're, they're an organization that's overlooked, but they've won so many championships that you cannot say that they're not a dynasty. And the thing about it is from rookie ball all the way to the big leagues, these guys get ready for the big leagues. And when they show up to the big leagues like Albert Pujols did, he came ready. And he did his thing. He got there and he showed off. That's the carton away.
6: Are you still doing real estate?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm still doing that.
6: Give out the number, baby. Give out the number. Let's go. Let's move some Hey,
1: Let's move. Let's buy and sell. I'm at (laughs) 925-548-3918. And uh, that is my number. And uh, I'm at Intero Realty. So I'm still doing it. I'm having fun doing it. I got a couple houses up right now for sale. And if you guys are interested, Give me a call.
6: And do uh, do the net, too, because it's a great teaching aid.
1: Oh, it's about the cutoff, man. Yeah, we're still doing the cutoff, man. That's a, a net where you can get so many reps within, like, 15 minutes. You throw it to a target. It goes into a net. It goes into a bucket. You don't have to pick up balls. So, it saves you time, but it makes you better in a short period of time.
6: All righty, Bipster. We'll be watching today. Uh, I did my hit for NBC. It's on Paul Blackburn. So, when it's done – just, just talk about hey, Towny A's cast live. You gotta love it. I sure will, man. I love when you do that, man. I enjoy it. You are the best, my friend. I'll be in touch.
1: All right, all right. You guys have a good day.
6: The great Bip Roberts, Mark Langston, now doing television for, or excuse me, doing radio for the Los Angeles Angels. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, you know he's one of our favorites. He's a four-time All-Star, a seven-time Gold Glove Award
5: winner.
6: A three-time American League strikeout leader. But most importantly, he is the greatest San Jose State Spartan baseball player of all time. He's the pride of Santa Clara. We always love to bring him back home. The great Mark Langston's with us. Mark, how are you?
8: Chris, I'm fantastic, man. Thanks for having
6: me. Well, it is always good to have you. You know, we miss you traveling, but uh, it's good to hear your voice. And uh, I hope everything's going well for you down in Southern California.
8: Yeah, everything is good down here. Uh, we've had a a nice scenario where the angels have gotten off to a good start. We're job related, that
6: helps. <laughs> yeah, it makes it a little bit easy, huh? <laughs> it does. It definitely helps. Well, the one thing I want to get in is pitching, obviously, your forte, and I find it, you know, here we have the Angels. For the most part, they're healthy. The lineup is absolutely dangerous. You're go- But you're going with the six-man rotation, and I just wonder how this is going to work. Are they going to have enough arms for enough outs in the long term of a 162-game season? How do you feel about that?
8: Yeah, I mean, obviously the six-man rotation plays out really well for this club just from the standpoint of Shohei's schedule that he's on. It really works well for him, you know, with the workload that he has. You've got Noah Syndergaard coming off Tommy John surgery, so that plays well for him. Michael Lorenzen, this is the first time he's back into a rotation since his rookie year in 2015. That helps. And then the rest of it, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmer's, Uh, these guys have never had a full season under their belt. So it plays well with the guys they have in this rotation. And we've seen it already. They've been able to log some innings. And Joe's man has been able to go with these guys a little deeper because they do have that extra rest. And these guys have responded really well so far.
6: Well, I know we've talked about it up here, and I wonder if you're seeing it down there. Because with uh, Silseth going tonight, we got to see his first outing. And these guys coming up from the minor leagues are used to the pitch clock. And it's amazing how fast they work compared to watching, you know, the past few years. So many of the guys that we've had in the, in the big leagues just work like sloths. I mean, these kids are getting the ball. They're going. It's fast because that's what they're used to. Have you been noticing that?
8: Yes. You just mentioned Chase Filseth, who's starting tonight. Uh, No doubt about it. He came up and just he couldn't get rid of it quick enough. And that always plays for any defense. They love it. The faster you can work, the better your defense is going to be. We had Jose Suarez in our rotation earlier this year, who is one of the slowest workers in baseball. And it's painstakingly. And I think it cost him from the standpoint, sometimes those defensive plays aren't made behind you because of how slow he worked infielders outfielders everybody gets fidgety in between pitches they don't know what to do they want to be involved and they want it quickly he went down to the minor leagues and he just returned and all of a sudden we've seen an increase in his uh getting the ball to home plate so i definitely have noticed that certainly the guys that have come up in the minor leagues you see it and and i'm okay with it because i think that helps everything it certainly helps the defense, but I think it just helps the game of baseball
6: kind of move around. like w- when you remember back to your days, how fast were you and did you think about pitching faster because it helps your defense behind you, keeps those guys on their toes and engaged throughout the game?
8: No, I was a guy that I worked so quick that I had to scream myself to slow down a little bit because there's always that fine line of working too fast and then your, your mechanics get out of whack. So you got to stay within yourself. But my big deal is I went to my mouth after every pitch. And I had, back in when I played, I had to walk all the way to the grass, lick my fingers, wipe them off, get back to the mound. In today's game, you just stand off the side of the rubber, lick your fingers, and off you go. So I could have worked twice as fast, uh, but I had to go all the way down, lick my fingers, get back up on top. Um, you know, I, I like it. I like the, the pace of the game. It's good for the game, and uh, hopefully that will continue.
6: You know, the bullpen was definitely really good for the Angels. Lately, it looks like a, with Iglesias, a couple hiccups, especially one against us.
8: Yeah, he had a couple hiccups on that road trip, one against you guys. Obviously, that was a big one. We had one the other day in the 10th inning. We had the lead in the 10th inning with Iglesias out there, uh, and he gave up another home run. So he's he has a home run in his game that's always been part of that Uh, he's always a guy you trust though he's been so good for the angels he was their first priority this offseason is to get him back in the fold they took care of that they haven't had a guy like him that you felt really comfortable certainly the last two appearances uh, you you know that it's going to happen to anybody Uh, i look for him to clean that up ryan tapera had a hiccup the other day in texas So I like our back end of our bullpen. It's solid, but, you know, bullpens are going to – you know, they're going to have off days, you know, the more guys you use. But the guys that they've got, they've got a veteran group now in that back end of the bullpen, and I like what I've seen so far.
6: You know, there's been a lot of discussion about the baseball again. Here we go again. But it's funny – We've been playing these old Ray Fossey interviews to honor our man, Ray Fossey, and he was doing an interview with Sparky Anderson. I want to say it was like 1995, and even in 95, Sparky Anderson, the the Hall of Famer, was complaining about the baseball. Uh, back in your day, did you ever notice different, anything different about the baseball, and was there ever an issue?
8: I mean, you always, you know, would always feel the baseball how it felt. some day, Some years or sometimes – it would feel a lot firmer than it used to feel maybe the year before. Uh, and, you know, you look at some of the numbers. I, you go back to 1987 was kind of a year where the offense really exploded for a lot of teams. Now, that was that baseball-related. You know, obviously steroids was a big factor back in those days. You know, don't know where that was uh, as far as playing. In today's game, there's no question, man. You, we've seen it over the last few years, offenses, and it's – Again, when you've got your second baseman who doesn't hit home runs, and not only is he hitting home runs, he's going opposite field with power, that you just don't see that. The only time I saw it was obviously in the steroid era. These guys, i got to believe, are clean, and it was just ball-related. Now we've seen them. They took a little air out of the ball, and the offense is just not the same so far. And it's always the beginning of the season. You know, offenses that aren't up and clicking, once the weather starts to warm up, I think you're going to see offenses, uh, you're going to see a lot more offense than you're seeing right now.
6: Well, I got to tell you, we, you know, we do the Mark Kotze show here on Ace Cast and uh, we had him earlier today and he was talking about, listen, ball's not going out of the yard. We're not scoring runs we got to start playing small ball. And, you know, small ball was like a dirty word around here. If we go back and if it wasn't (laughs) about home runs and walks, Billy Bean wanted no part about that. But we're talking about bunting and hitting and running. And so maybe what we, I don't know, balls in the humidors, I don't know. But if this kind of leads us back to a normal game, I, I think I'd embrace it. How about you?
8: I'm with you 100%. And that's one of the reasons the Angels this year is it's been an exciting team. You look at their offense, they certainly can do it with so many different ways. And that's what they've done this year. Obviously, they're right at the top as far as average. They are second in the majors in home runs. And they've also, they get it done with walks. They're fourth in walks. And then you look at stolen bases, they're fifth in stolen bases. And they are the number one team in sacrifices so far this season. They have sacrificed nine times. So they do all aspects. I think they get it also. They have good team speed. These guys run the base as well. But they can play small ball. And I think think it's good for the game of baseball. I'm with you 100% on that. It's fun to see action, see guys in motion, some hit and run action, keep the ball on the ground. Uh, And then you get to see the stellar defensive plays behind it. So I'm all for it, man. If it uh, keeps the ball in the ballpark just a little bit, and again, I think that will change as the summer and it starts to heat up in a lot more places. Those numbers are going to change, but it is fun to watch teams trying to manufacture runs.
6: Yeah, whenever I see someone lay down a bunt, it like shocks me. It's like I, 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 I'm just not used to it anymore. <laughs> I'm like, can you still do that? Um, now that you've had the tour around the American League West, how do you view the division?
8: Yeah, we have not played Seattle yet. That is our last team, and we don't play them until almost the end of June. We haven't uh, played. So oh, that is the one team.
6: We play Seattle but after you, you guys, at, and we we play Seattle after you guys. We haven't seen them either. How weird is that?
8: Yeah, that's bizarre, you know. So we've
6: uh, – you know, I see
8: it. Houston's always going to be the team that – they're going to be the favorite, no question about it. And if you think you're going to win the division, you're going to have to go through them. They're not going to roll over. Now with all the steps backwards they taste losing all their key guys they're losing key guys year after year after year. Uh, obviously with Carlos Correa not with them you feel like at some point they got to step a little bit back towards the pack, but they're still a talented team. Justin Verlander looks like he's the old Justin Verlander now he hasn't missed a beat coming back from Tommy John. Uh, so they're the team to beat in this division, no doubt about it. The Angels are a much improved team obviously when you have the health of Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon uh, to get back in your lineup on a daily basis, you're going to be a better team immediately Shohei Otani, Ohtani, he didn't have any protection. Now he's got some protection around him and Taylor Ward for us has been the storyline all all season long. I mean, when you, again, when you have names like Ohtani Trout and Rendon and you're the storyline offensively, that shows you what kind of offensive year, Taylor Ward has gotten off to.
6: Yeah, every single time I look up and I see that he has a better OPS than Mike Trout, I just shake my head. You're like, wow. Uh, Let's end on this. Shohei Ohtani. I mean, every single time he comes to Oakland, whether you're watching him take BP, you watch him pitch, you just sit there in amazement going, my God, the guy's got this extreme. He hit that one home run last series against the A's that I don't know how many guys, because you have to be that tall and you got to be able to get that lift on a high fastball, but he's just always doing stuff that you go, man, I don't know if I've ever seen this or will ever see this again. It's just amazing. He's He, he literally is a freak, and you forget about how fast he is and how tall he is until you see him in person. Now that you've seen him for years, are you still? Is it still just a wonder to you when you watch him? Just what his talent is just off the charts.
8: Yeah, I'm still just absolutely blown away by what we see out of Shohei from the standpoint of, you know, I know how hard it is to prep and get ready for one element of it, and the pitching side of it, and the work that you have to do from a preparation standpoint. It takes five days to get yourself ready to roll. For That start, Shohei can take change hats and do that as good as anybody. We, Mike Trout was talking about that the other day, and he said the exact same thing the preparation it takes to get ready for a game offensively, to get study the pitchers, to get in there and know what you're going to face, and mentally get yourself ready to go. He said it's difficult. And he goes, Then you look at Shohei, he's out on the mound throwing 100 miles an hour. Uh, It it is. It is mind-boggling. I don't know if you'll ever see another baseball player with this kind of skill set that he has. Uh, It's absolutely uh, awe-dropping every time that this guy gets on the field. He doesn't take any days off. He's out there every day. I think he leads the majors. He certainly leads the American League in games played. Uh, So the guy doesn't take a second off. You would think, okay, maybe after a tough start, he would have the next day off. We always say that in the booth that sure enough he's penciled in, he's ready to roll the next day. So, uh, it is it is a it's a wonder and I don't know if he gets enough credit for what he's doing. Obviously, he was the MVP last year and rightly so, but I don't know if this guy gets enough pub and credit even though he's he's everybody's focused on him, but what he's doing, I don't know if you'll ever see it again.
6: Well, speaking of the booth, you and Kevin Franzen together in the booth next to each other, you talk about two of the greatest San Jose Spartans of all time. That's some Spartan love right there on the air.
8: That was fantastic. Uh, I did a couple of TV games and Kevin Franzen when we were playing the Washington Nationals was in town. So he was his booth was right next to us when I did some TV games and I go it's got to be a first. We got a couple of Spartans doing the TV broadcast. Uh, it was fantastic. It was fun. He's a great guy. It's always great to catch up with the ex- the alumni guys, as it is talking with you, man. It's always a blast to catch up with you. So uh, it-, it was fun to see a little Spartan power in the broadcast booth the other day.
6: Have a great call. And we'll call you soon. You got it, Chris. Anytime, man. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he is the man that uh, you love to watch pitch every five days as he absolutely brings it for your Oakland Athletics. Frankie Montas is with us here on A's Cast Live. How are you?
5: I'm good. How are you?
6: Uh, I'm doing well. And, you know, just watching you pitch recently, I think you got to be feeling great because the other day, 12 strikeouts. But just in command, of the body, of the mind. You can really see right now where you are in your career, and you got to be feeling great.
5: I uh, feel pretty good. First of all, just want to thank God, you know, just for for keeping me healthy, you know, and um, I'm just trying to do my job, man. I'm just trying to go out there every five days and, and do my best.
6: I remember doing an interview with you, and I don't know if you remember, but it was uh, <laughs> it was the Bay Bridge Series, so it was years ago. It was in San Francisco you just made the team right you just had a baby you remember this and i remember remember going like the world's your oyster right now to think where you were then and that's when you're really kind of learning the split to where you are now we'll go on the field off the field we'll start on the field how are you now different than that guy that i had that interview with in san francisco
5: well i feel like uh, it was just like i got more experience like with the years, you know, I have played with really good pitchers, the the that have been Oakland in the past, you know. And uh, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can every year, you know. Just just trying to um, improve whatever whatever I got to do, you know. It, maybe fastball command, uh, uh, my splitter. Just just trying to get a new pitch, whatever I got to do to to improve my pitching. I'm I'm always willing to do. It always, by the
6: way, it always drives me nuts when they take you out. It drives me nuts. I go, I go, I go, I go, and I always go, Frankie Montas is built like a middle linebacker in the NFL. He's not some slim kid who you got to worry about. Oh, my God, Frankie's at 80 pitches. You're built to go 120, 130. Do you ever just go, man, leave me out here?
5: Man, I'm I'm always cool with with, with whatever, you know. I mean, I'm pretty open about it. If I'm if I'm feeling like I, I can keep going, like, they know it because I let them know. I was like, hey, I'm good to go. You know, if I feel good with, uh, um, let's say, whatever, on the 17th um, with almost 100 pitches and I tell them, hey, give me one more, it's because I feel good and I'm ready to go out there and uh, um, just keep doing 100%. Just, just just, keep on rolling.
6: Yeah, I will always say Frankie Montas is not a fragile butterfly. No, nah, This man. guy is ready. To, and I'm always like. Looking down at the bullpen, I'm looking at Frankie, I'm looking at the bullpen, I'm like I don't think anyone's got better stuff <laughs> than Frankie Mod.
5: I I want you on the mound. Man, I'm just I'm just blessed and and and, and glad to be here, man, and and, and be able to, to help him whatever I can, you know. And and like I, man, I, I I'm the type of guy that like I'm always asking questions, you know. I don't care if you just got to the league, if you have ten years in the league. Like I talked a lot with, with Paul you know, uh, um, Caprillion, like, guys in the past like Bassi, Minaya. Like, me and Bassi pretty much, like, been together for a lot of years because we were together in the White Sox. And yeah. those two guys, Minaya and Bassi, were two guys that I look up to, you know. The way, the way they handle themselves, the way they go out there, the way they go about the business. Like, like I wanted to be like that, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and just be able to learn from those guys and, and – Edwin Jackson in the past, you yeah. know uh, uh, Cahill, all those guys. I'm I always trying to get the good things about them. You know how they go about their business, how they pitch, how they get prepared to pitch every five days. There are some teams that are like I'm always trying to look like looking for it so I can so I can uh, um, do it and and, and trying to go out there and have a good game.
6: Edwin Jackson is, like, one of the greatest resources because oh, he's played oh, for every man. team. Oh, it's like, man. he can tell you any restaurant, guy, any, any golf course, guy. anything kn- you he want. He knows
5: every city. Bro. I swear <laughs> to God. That man, hey, wasn't Seattle. Oh, well, in Seattle you got this. You got the sushi You got this spot. But he knows everything. I swear to God, he, he played in every city in MLB. I swear. Yeah, he,
6: he, he was a good dude. It was He was always a fun interview because yeah, what a wealth. Because oh, yeah, yeah. obviously you'd want to play in the same spot your entire career. But then – you think about what he did, like he played almost for every team. It's like he got to Wow, well,
5: was was, what, 17 teams? Something like what that? What was it? it, it was, it's a record. It was something like that, right? It's yeah. a record. And him and, I, him and uh, uh, um, this guy, uh, um, this Dominican dude. Um,
6: the deal reliever for the A's. The, oh, what's his name? Uh, Octavio um, Dotel.
5: Dotel, hell yeah. Yeah, that was yeah, the that guy. guy. That guy was. Well, and was it's kind of cool
6: because you got to live in like every major American city.
5: Seriously. Um,
6: but what a wealth of knowledge! I went off the field, the young family. What's that done for you?
5: Man, I feel like that's one of the things that have, has like helped me grow up as a, um, as a father, as a man, as a human being, having two kids, and it's just like, like I wouldn't trade this for anything. Like my my mental peace, like just, I'm just so blessed that God got got god bless me with a really good family really good kids you know and i feel like that's one of the reasons why like i'm trying to go out there and like always give my best you know i don't want to show my son something that like i don't want like i wouldn't want him to do it in the future you know what i'm saying whatever it is that you're doing you have to make sure you give a hundred percent you know um baseball or, or school whatever it is in life you know you have to stay dedicated to whatever you're doing and um that's why i work hard and i'm just trying to go every five days out there and um Show him that, like, hey, if you give 100%, it don't matter what happened, no matter the results, you're going to go to sleep good.
6: Obviously, everybody's talking about you in baseball.
5: And I don't know how much you
6: can wall that off, but every article, everything you look at, Frankie Montas, Frankie I mean, you, you, <laughs> you legitimately may be the most coveted guy at the deadline. We don't want you to go, right? We want you to stay forever. But are you able to, like, Shut that out at all? Because I'm sure, like your family and everybody knows what's going on. How do you shut? The, how, how do you? How do you have the blinders on for that?
5: I'm in Auckland right now, right? So I got a pitch for Auckland. Yeah. So whatever I'm at right now, that's what I'm focusing. I'm not. I'm not trying to think about getting traded. I'm here right now, so right here, this is what they need me. You know. So I'm just trying to do my job. That's it. You know, if I get. It, whatever happened, if I could trade it, whatever I go, I gotta still do my job. I still gotta keep on grinding. So right, like right now I'm here, so I'm just focusing, just keep going and help the team whatever I can.
6: What has Scott Emerson done for you for your career?
5: Uh, he has helped me a lot over the over the years. You know, like I got here pretty young. You know, I think he was the the, the bullpen coach when I got here, and um, just like like on the type of it, like every year, like I'm not trying to like like go from zero to a 100 you know what i'm saying like i have try to like whatever i'm doing i'm trying to master that then move to the uh to the next step whatever it is you know The some dudes is just trying to like go from like good to great greatness is a process that's what they said right greatness is a process you can't just wake up and be great you know so he has helped me a lot just like the mental game, you know, just just trying to stay, like, under control pitching. Because for me it's just, like, for me it's just more, like, mental stuff, you know, just, like, trying to make sure my head's clear, trying to make sure I'm going out there and I'm not thinking about anything else but pitching, you know. And he has helped me, like, like how to deal with those those type of situations, not let the game, like, speed up on you. You know, sometimes you're pitching and you, you get, like, you get yourself caught up and, like, throwing pitch after pitch after pitch. And then next thing you know, you have three runs, and you're like, oh, my God, like, it's time to wake up. You know, just trying to stay into the game, and and I feel like he has helped me a lot on that.
6: We've talked a lot, and let's end on this, uh, the speed of the game, the pace of the game. You've been using Pitchcom. We're seeing these young guys coming up who are used to the pitch clock. They're working faster. Have you just noticed with Pitchcom and these kids that the game is starting to speed up?
5: Yeah, I, I mean, I see it, like, and, and – and if I see it like with uh, some of my guys, I make sure like I tell them, you know, hey, you're the one with the ball in your hands, you know, don't don't let the game get too quick on you, you know, the game doesn't start until you throw the ball, you know, it ain't gonna be no play if you don't throw the ball, so you have to be able to to learn how to like control the running game, you know, how to how to not let the game speed you up or like get you out of out of what you uh, um trying to do and trying to work on.
6: Well, I got to tell you, you know we're all huge fans, and no matter what happens, <laughs> I appreciate uh, it, it is man. what it is. I but it. you've been I a love, rock of this rotation for a long time, and we've we've uh, watching you grow as a man, watching you grow as a professional athlete, and truly now one of the most dominant guys in the American League has been that. a lot of fun. So keep doing what you're doing because every five days, Frankie Days is win day in my book. Right. Frankie Montas right here on A's Cast Live. We will get more into it next week. When we get back home, we can finally do our show like this. You can watch it on YouTube and on Twitter live from the field. You'll be able to hear it and see it from the field. It's official. I've been I've been told baby steps, the baby steps are happening, my friend. And my kids were once babies. You know what happens with baby steps? They grow up. They grow up, and that's what we're doing here with Ace Cast Live. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see everybody Monday. 4 o'clock Monday? Yes, yeah, 4 o'clock. Everybody, Monday at 4 o'clock. Have a great weekend.
8: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.